Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name, my name is... Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Mm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a nonprofit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. All right, three weeks in a row. Let me ask this, Todd. Yeah. You ever been on a podcast before? First time. So we've had three first-time podcasters in a row for the roundup. And uh, what we love about what we have done here is essentially this is our community. This is our Blood Origins community that, en that engages with us day in and day out. And you were one of those that reached out to us over Instagram and said, hey, were you serious about being a guest? Because I'd love to come on and be a guest. And we we're like, yeah, absolutely. What did you think about that? I was honestly surprised that you responded first and foremost and how quickly it was responded to. So We try. We try. We lag sometimes, but we try pretty hard to be responsive. It's, uh, I mean, it's, why, we're, it's why we're doing it is for the people, the, the people that are listening and watching and commenting and liking. And so we try to be pretty responsive. And I think that's a lot that um, I think – yeah, we get we interact with a lot of people every day, right? There's a lot of DMs, there's a lot of comments, there's a lot of things that we get tagged into. Whether it's my personality or Cody's personality or whatnot, it's just, and I think it's just good practice that we just respond to everyone, right? We don't ever let someone not, we don't ever not respond to someone. We're always going to say something. We're always going to like the comment. We're always going to say thank you. We're always going to be grateful. It's just part of our MO, really. Absolutely. It's kind of, kind of cool. I told a few people, I'm like, I'm going to be on a podcast. Like, what, really? Yeah, well, <laughs> see how it goes. <laughs> well, we want you to spread the word uh, that you are on the Blood Origins podcast. And, uh, you know, you're just a, a guy out of northern Arizona and um, just happen to be a part of, of uh, this community and you follow us. And all of a sudden, they were like, yeah, why don't you come on the podcast? and they said, okay. Yeah. Very cool. So Todd, we didn't know if you were called Todd or Jason. We were getting a little confused in, in terms of the first name. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? So my parents wanted to make my life difficult and same with all of my siblings. And we all go by our middle names and school was real fun because you had to, they'd call your first name out and then you'd have to be all embarrassed as a little kid and raise your hand and say, well, they, actually, my name's Todd. And, Mm. what have you so that was always fun <clears throat> and it's nice though because if i get a phone call and they ask for jason i know it, i need to be a little more formal <laughs> so th there is pluses and minuses to it but i go by todd um i've been an arizona resident my entire life i'm 28 i hunt when i can can't hardly draw a tag i've drawn two deer tags in 10 years last year wow. or 2019, I drew a tag, and then 10 years back from that, I drew a tag in 2000. But there's over-the-counter opportunities in Arizona, right? Uh, there's archery over-the-counter for deer in certain units, and they've cut back a lot of units this year, which is 
it sucks, but it needed to happen, especially in like 27. Mm-hmm. A lot of uh, people from down in the valley come up, and that's what they do. They, they'll come and they'll shoot deer with their bows because can't get a can't get a draw tag so but it it was needed to as far as to let the herds grow and all that so it it needed to happen but it sucks because we lost another unit for a late archery hunt Mm -hmm. but you're not a bow hunter todd i am well i own three bows does that count Uh, (laughs) it certainly does it's one of the criteria (laughs) i just bought a uh it's a recurve. It's a competition style bow for like uh, Olympic archery, and came across it at a swap meet. And I was more interested in the arrows. And the guy said, "I can't remember what he said. He's like ninety dollars for a dozen." I'm like, "Well, that's reasonable, you know, because arrows are ridiculous." And I'm like, "Well, how much for the bow?" And he said. 200 for all of it. I'm like, well, all right. Came with two dozen yeah. arrows, two carrying <laughs> cases. It's got stabilizers, all the fancy sights and stuff. I just shoot it without the sight or anything. And it's a fairly heavy bow because it's uh, got a metal riser, but like two or three sets of limbs. So. Sounds like a bog. Like a real good Yeah. Bag. Every now so, and Todd, then. in the in the text message to us, you said seventh generation Arizonan or something like that, right? Yeah. So, my it would be fourth great grandfather's Joseph Fish, and he came down to northern Arizona in eighteen something and helped settle northeastern Arizona. Uh, Snowflake Taylor area, Pinedale area, and uh, Woodruff, Holbrook, here in the White Mountains. And he was the first person to have a sawmill in northern Arizona. And if if you look at any history, as far as Arizona history, way back when, he's got his hand in it somewhere. He Amazing. How he did what he did in his life, I still will never know. But I'm seven generations from him, and we've my entire family, extended family, we all hunt, we all fish, we do all the outdoor things. Um, so it it's a subject really close to home as far as being able to go out in the woods and do things. And most of my family burns wood. Well, extended family, my papa, my aunt and uncle, my folks, I do a couple of my cousins, we all burn wood. So we spend a lot of time out in the woods, cutting wood and uh, went out last weekend, we're going out this weekend, get wood for the winter. Gotcha. And, and so we it snows a lot, a lot where you are there. in the winter. Um, it snows a lot where you are. It's hit and miss where I am. If you go about 15 minutes south of where I am, they get a lot more that sticks mm. in Sholo area and then further back. And then you go up to Sunrise. We got a ski resort on the Apache Reservation. And it's it does snow in Arizona quite a bit. And Yeah, yeah. Everybody thinks it's all desert, but we got pine trees. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, What do you do as a day job, Todd? Right now, I'm working construction. I'm okay. So outstanding. I'm, I'm staying pretty busy. We're building a fence right now, uh, kind of like a privacy fence for a big uh, uh, marijuana grow operation north of town. <laughs> so yeah, love it. We're building a fence for the pot farm and. You sit and smell weed nice. all day because they're harvesting right now. That's a long, that's a long ways west to have seven generations of of European, you know, of of a, of a European descent. There's not a lot of folks that get that far west that have seven generations. There's a lot of that's a that's that's impressive. Very cool that yeah. you know the history of it too. I like that stuff. I 
I know my fish line pretty well, and I kind of sort of know my dad's mom's line. Uh, her mom was a hatch, and that's a prevalent name. My boss is actually my third cousin or something like that because he's a hatch, and through my grandma, we're related. So, yeah. Right, right. Cool. Good stuff. So Glad to have you. Well, we're going to get rolling in terms of some admin, like we typically do, some housekeeping. Um, we have a, a number of shirts up in the shop right now. We are getting ready for, again, the getting closer and closer to Christmas, trying to decide on a new uh, T-shirt. Um, I'm not doing very well in terms of the, the designing of that, uh, but I'm getting closer and closer. Uh, but if you want a T-shirt, uh, we still have not got hats up there. The guy who reached out to us uh, with hats has ghosted us. Uh, so if you run a hat company and like to make hats <laughs> and like to make leather patches, reach back out to us uh, or reach out to us for the first time. And we, we, will, we will actually pay for the hats. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We will pay for them. Um, we have our corporate conservation clubs. So if you are a corporation, a brand, an organization that wants to get involved, wants to get uh, put their money where their mouth is, essentially, then uh, we'd love for you to get involved in what we do uh, on a daily basis. Uh, Smile.amazon.com. If you are an Amazon uh, buyer, uh, very easy. Instead of going through Amazon.com, just go through Smile.amazon.com, and you can put in on the nonprofit drop-down menu, and you select Blood Origins. And uh, Amazon will send us some of their money. And we have something new, Cody. Yeah, absolutely. I'm kind of excited about this to see how people react to it. Um, but we've got... Uh, so really the first time on a podcast that we asked for listener interaction. A podcast is not a super easy platform, right, to, to do listener interaction. Um, and the first time we asked for it was this example right here where we were like, hey... We'd love to have some people come on. The response was, the response was great. It was better than uh, honestly I thought it would be. I didn't know if people would respond. So we've decided that we want to open up more listener interactions um, on our podcast. And we have obviously you can respond to the podcast on any of our social media platforms, um, but we're also inviting you to send an email to info at bloodorigins.com or you can send a text message. To mm -hmm. 620-860-4804. 620-860-4804. Send us a text message with your comments about the podcast. Um, and if anyone does this, um, we will add a listener interaction segment to the roundup. And if anyone doesn't, we'll just pretend we never covered this. Or we'll make it up. Yeah, yeah, we'll make up listener interactions and have fun with it. That's not all. We won't actually make it up. That's a lot. I'll text in a couple of messages right. to the text yeah. number. Cody will send a couple of text messages. We'll get Todd to send a text message or two. Oh, yeah. Um, doesn't have to be about, the, about a podcast. It could be anything, right? You're listening to us now. Talk about it. But the text box is out there. You're going to put it on our... Um, on our uh, LinkedIn profile. Yeah, I'll put or it on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. I'll throw on, it up on our on our, our link tree. Our link yeah. tree. I mean, I knew what you meant. You get it wrong every time, and we'll, uh, yeah, we'll we'll throw it up there so you can click on our link tree, the little link in our in our uh, Instagram bio, and there'll be an option on there to send us a text and uh, you know see what happens. We'll see what we get. We like we'll see what kind of comments you get, Cody. Right, right. Yeah. Hate Cody's accent, love Robbie's accent. Yeah, that's, I bet we'll get flooded with that. I'll send a couple. There you oh, go. I love it. Thank you, Todd. It's a we're success. Gonna, we're not going to get skunked. Get, get at least one. There we go. There we go. Well, um, should we get into it? We've got a couple of uh, articles to get through today. Um, Todd, as normal, as the guest of the show, uh, I know we sent these to you uh, early this morning. We apologize for the late delivery of them, and we know you work in construction during the day. Uh, is there any which any article that that caught your eye that you'd like to to start with? And I didn't really with? get to read any of the articles, but uh, 
where you put like the description of what the articles were. The first one was poaching, which of course always is like, well, I wonder what this is about. I didn't get to read any of the articles, but it's kind of interesting how that is always a subject that comes up with hunting of any kind is poaching and something that that I talked with Cody about via email or whatever and not sure what platform it was on but I had made mention it might have been in my first uh your first Instagram Instagram exchange yep where it's in Arizona it's if you accidentally do something wrong say you shot two deer on accident bullet went through and killed another one or you shot it it ran off another one that looked just like it popped up and you thought oh that he's coming back and you get him and you go up and there's two dead deer on the ground and it's an honest mistake and you go and turn yourself in you're treated the same as a poacher you're find they drag you through everything when you're trying to be an honest person and i don't know if that has anything to do with any of the articles but i've known several people that have had honest mistakes like that where the doe steps in front of the buck right as they pull the trigger that happened to my papa um same with the two animals i know Mm -hmm. a police officer here in town actually had that happen to him and got in serious trouble because it was an honest mistake and he knew if i get caught i get in trouble if i don't get if i just keep my mouth shut and no one finds the other deer mm-hmm. we're, we're good and his cousin or something went and picked the other deer up so it didn't go to waste yeah but long story short he got in trouble for it for an, an honest mistake um same with uh, a guy, he was a DPS. My dad was law enforcement for 20 some odd years. And a DPS officer friend of his, they were hunting. Uh, and same thing, accidentally killed two bull elk. They loaded both of them in the truck, drove past his house in Heber, drove all the way to Pine Top to the Game and Fish Ranger Station up there. And told them what happened. They took both his animals. They took his hunting license. They fined him. There was just no courtesy at all. It was you. There's no no uh, leniency. It's you did this mm-hmm. and you're in the wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's if it's actually in their rule book that if a game warden doesn't give you a ticket for something you did wrong they are in violation and it's like a class three misdemeanor or something i don't remember the exact thing it is that would be so it's a a tough situation it's a yeah it's it's a very it's a very complicated situation right like there's it's not a mm -hmm. black and white thing when that happens because I'll, I'll use myself as an example, so I'm not pointing any fingers. I, I one time was duck hunting and fired one shot and dropped one teal. And on my second shot, dropped four teal. And already had two ducks in the blind. So, I, I, and I just, I just violated federal migratory game laws. And... Mm-hmm. Turned myself in. I was a minor. Um, my dad was also in law enforcement, so we 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 did the right thing, um, and took a little slap on the wrist, like I probably should have, right? Like, I mean, I I, the, in 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 my example and in all the examples you gave, a mistake was made that did lead to a game violation, right? Um, and you know, everybody in all of our examples here did the right thing. Um, nobody did anything intentionally that puts that, that, uh, that puts that law enforcement officer, the, I don't know what they're called in Arizona. The game warden. Yeah. The game warden in, in a tough spot. Right. Um, especially when it, if it's on the books in Arizona that, 
you know, if a violation occurs, consequences have to happen. Um, I don't, you know, it, it's one of those, I, th- I think first and foremost, we as, as outdoorsmen and, and hunters, um, and again, I, I don't want to, like, I, I'm not, I don't want to say anything that feels like I'm picking on anyone oh, that no. you gave an example of. I don't know those people, but I, I do exactly. think first and foremost, we have a responsibility to do everything within our power to make sure those mistakes don't happen. Right. Absolutely. Like, this is a, we are so blessed with the opportunities that we have. Even when Arizona's cutting back on deer, the deer hunting is in Arizona is more available than it is in any other country in the world. Right. Like, absolutely. Um, so we have this real, really, really sharp and powerful responsibility to not make those mistakes. And then on the very next sentence out of my mouth will be everybody makes mistakes. Um, I also think the honorable thing to do is own up to your mistakes because we all know that that doesn't happen all the time um, in life. Um, So it's a very great thing. I think we, I, I think I'm also totally comfortable with saying there are some people in law enforcement across the board, not just, you know, all types of law enforcement um, who don't operate with a heart, right? They, they, Mm -hmm. and first of all, I come from a law enforcement family. I have a thin blue line flag. All right. I love law enforcement, but there are some of them that don't operate with a heart. Don't use any common sense or good judgment in some of their choices. And, and that happens. So it's such a gray area. Um, well, it's tough in terms of incentivizing, right? It's almost like I'm coming at it from a standpoint of what have you just done? These guys that make these honest mistakes, and you're, you're absolutely right, they, it, it did incur a game violation. Yeah. But if it was done on purpose, yes, there may be some malevolent individual who says, okay, I'm going to cover this purposeful action up as a mistake and I'm going to take it to the game warden and show it. That is, let's be honest, everyone would say it's very, very rare because more often than not, they're just going to cover it up. So instead, the person who says, yes, hands up, I made a mistake, I'm going to go rectify the situation, gets absolutely lambasted. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely taken and put across the coals. What's that person going to do the next time he makes a mistake, which is what a mistake is? Yeah, they're not. That actually happened to a, a buddy of mine when he was, he first went through hunter safety, drew a cow elk tag, went out, accidentally shot a spike, or I think it was a spike, shot a bull. And he being a little, I think 10 or 12, however old he was, little kid was like dad we got to go turn ourselves in this that and the other and dad was kind of like yeah this kind of stuff happens but we'll 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 go turn ourselves in and little kid first time ever hunting goes to turn himself in and they rake him over the coals for it this little kid that made an honest mistake and went and tried to do the right thing and to this day he doesn't trust any of the game and fish he doesn't trust any of them and he's like if they're gonna do me like that for being Mm. making a an honest mistake and trying to rectify it and trying to like make everything right it's the same as if i would have just went out without a tag Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. no it's such a it's such a nuanced thing right it's like you you could you just your mind keeps going back to i think to cody's point which is the, the root of it is that we have to be better than a mistake. And yes, it'll happen. And that, you know, but it's almost like you just, we have to, given the environment we live in, given the antis, given the everything. It's a tough situation. And it happens, it happens, it happens, you know, it all the time. It doesn't just happen in Northern Arizona. Oh, absolutely. It happens. Right. It happens everywhere in the country, and I think both people are in tough situations. I think that the hunter who's trying to do the right thing and and admit to a mistake 
I also think that the law enforcement officer, the one right there on the ground, is in a tough situation as well because a hundred percent we also know that people who do poach then lie about it, right? Absolutely. I mean, cr- criminals lie to law enforcement. Now, I, I think the fact that someone you know gets in their truck and drives to the to the game warden's office and is like, hey, I did this. Um, like Robbie said, not a lot of people go out intentionally shoot a bull on a cow tag, load it up and drive in and tell on themselves, right? Like that's not a real common mm-hmm. thing. Um, but they do get lied to a lot and they, they're, they're put in a tough situation as well. And then government gets involved. You know, it's no different than mandatory sentencing guidelines and things that I think are ridiculous because you strip the common sense away from that person on the ground who could say, you know what, you did the right thing. You acted honestly here, um, you know, make the kid do some push-ups or something. I, I don't know. I don't have any idea what you can, what you can do, but uh, it's do a some tough community situation. service hours or something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's a tough situation. Um, and, uh, you like to see common sense be allowed to prevail in those times, but I think we're moving away from that in the world as well. So mm-hmm. the only, the only like actual action items that I see is for us as hunters to continue to get better at our craft and lessen those mistakes. There's, it's, it's not a solution. It's not a fix. Um, it's just, that's the only, you know, if you got a cow tag and you got it on a cow in a legal place, they can't, they can't get you. You didn't do anything. They can't get you for anything. I don't Well, talking about mistakes, let's go on to the next article, which is a massive mistake and a fatal mistake, unfortunately. Uh, I don't know if everybody saw the article or saw the press. There's been a lot of press, a lot of news about this, about the Pennsylvania muzzleloader hunter, uh, I believe, in Colorado, who shot the archery hunter. He thought it was an elk and um, unfortunately saw white, just pulled the trigger, and unfortunately, walking instead of walking up on a dead elk, he walked up on a dead bow hunter. Tragic. I don't... Tragic, tragic. How does this keep happening? How do people just not identify exactly what they are about to pull the trigger on? Yeah, I'm a, I got no patience, none whatsoever for this mistake. Um, and you know, you actually hear about it. Like it happens, not a lot, but it happens way more than it should turkey hunting, right? Um, and things, well, especially in this in this world with the turkey fans on the head and stuff like that, right? But you still are not properly identifying your target if you shoot a human being with a turkey fan on their head, right? And 100%. I, I don't have any patience for this one. Um, Todd gave us some great examples of genuine mistakes that can happen. This is not a genuine, this is careless hunting. It just is. Mm-hmm. If you shoot a human being because you thought it was an elk, you know, 600 700 pounds difference in the creatures um i don't you that's that's uh that's a crime in my opinion you know thank god that the place that it's the most common in turkey hunting that it's normally you know there's a lot of instances of that where a quick trip to the hospital and and people end up you know continuing their lives um i don't have i don't have any patience for this Um, and I I don't mean to be all fired up about it, but every time I hear about a hunter, I'm not talking about there was someone in camouflage behind the bull that you shot through. That's a horrible thing that is totally different than what I'm talking about. But when you draw down on a human being 
thinking it was an elk, that's not a genuine mistake. That's really careless operation of a firearm and hunting. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't have any patience for that. There's no, you shouldn't, you shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't be in the field with that level of carelessness. Absolutely. It's, it's, it goes from everybody talks about like an accidental di- discharge. I, I went to gunsmithing school and I'm doing so much with it now. Um, but <laughs> they didn't, they're one of our instructors, like there's no such thing as an accidental discharge. There's negligent discharges. It's you're being negligent of what you're doing. And it's, it's, uh, the only word I can think of is stupidity. You're being dumb out in the woods. Just because you hear something doesn't mean it's an elk. Just because you hear something doesn't mean it's a human. But you should, as they say in hunter safety, I have proper identification of what you're going to shoot before yep. you shoot it. Because And again, speaking to our, our Blood Origins community, you know, Todd, you're reaching out saying, I want to be on this podcast. This article came to us from a member of the Blood Origins community, and I posted, you know, what he wrote to us into the into the notes, which is this was a friend of his. This is a friend of his that got fatally shot. Um, so it's um, it just shows, and he just said, "Please, can you just can you advocate for this message? Can you really can you really push something out?" And uh, yeah, we just put it on the on the roundup because you're right. It's, it's negligence. It's just absolute. Again, I it may like, for instance, this, did he have a bull tag or a cow tag? Did he just assume it was a bull because it was sounding like a bull? You know? Yeah. It, it uh, I, I mean, yeah, it, it does. It doesn't matter. I mean, even if he had an either, either sex tag, um, there's just really, there's no, there's absolutely no excuse for it. That, and and it, you're, so you, there's no desperation, right? Mistakes like this should only happen in times of extreme desperation, right? Like if you're starving to death, I wouldn't come as hard at you for shooting at movement in the bush. But these people drove from Pennsylvania to go on an elk hunt. This was not a we're starving to death. It's a desperate situation. We need to feed our, there's nothing so important that you can't wait and, or completely miss that opportunity to get 100% clarification of what you're shooting. Um, there's just, it's a, there's absolutely no excuse for it. It does incredible damage for the public relations of hunters. Um, that these kind of that these kind of things happen and I don't have any patience for it. Absolutely. I I'd have to agree with you on that one. It's it's something that it shouldn't be tolerated at all because it's as hunters we're it we're supposed to be able to go out in the woods and find the, the deer and elk and whatever animals we're hunting and identify them and do all that. And then when you go out and have some knuckle dragger just okay, we're just going to shoot the first thing we hear. It's, it makes no sense. Like, well, what if it was an endangered animal? Or what if it was, well, it was a human, which is a tragic thing in and of itself, but you got all these other possibilities of things that it could be as well as a person. So let's, I want to, like, this kind of fires me up and I don't want to be all fired up, but. I do think that the statistics in in the first 20 years after mandatory hunter education, um, Colorado dropped from 10 hunting related fatalities a year on average to one. So that is a positive. It's a good thing. Um, also please keep in mind when you listen to this, that's not always someone getting shot. That That's just a hunting related fatality. Um, and there's a lot of people in the woods hunting during the this five month period in Colorado. So it's not, you don't want to ever make a single fatality a good thing, but to see those numbers decreasing is uh, is good. Yeah, exactly. And that was the point of the article that the article obviously highlighted the 
the incidents and highlighted the event, but then also drove the point that, hey, Colorado's been putting some things in place and fatalities are, are way down. Absolutely. Uh, the next article was uh, back to your home state of Kansas, Cody. Who knew Kansas had a poaching problem? Well, I think everyone knows that Kansas potentially has a poaching problem given the deer that run around in Kansas. Yeah, anytime you get into the that size of horns, uh, there are some people that are going to go about it uh, inappropriately. Well, certainly an article by... Um... It was in WIBW13, I guess it's a little local Kansas place, uh, grandfathered by the Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's to help put an end to poaching in Kansas. And uh, they gave um, the Kansas Department of Wildlife um, and Parks Law Enforcement Division a $10,000 grant to create a wall of shame trailer. Yeah. And hopefully it just emphasizes the consequences, the punishments those types of things that are happening. Um, you know, it, I, I don't, I don't think that, I think the story is Kansas got awarded this grant, not that Kansas has more of a poaching problem than anywhere else. Um, right. Right. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it's always good to do things in an, on an educational basis. Hopefully the trailer isn't just, a big show of massive racks that poachers shot and it deals with the consequences um, that, you know, legitimate and willful poachers suffer when they get caught. Is it going to be a trailer full of trophies or are they going to just put the people's faces on it and make them look like backside of a mule or whatever? They will do the trophies. Wildlife and Parks has always used seized trophies as kind of a – in Kansas, I mean, I lived in Kansas for 44 years. So in Kansas, they've always used seized trophies, um, you know, to get your attention, to come to their booth, to get the information. And that's what I'm saying. Hopefully, they use the great big deer to pull you over. And then hopefully they talk to you about the consequences of, you know, losing your gun and your truck and your hunting privileges if you get caught doing it willfully. Right. Kudos to Bass Pro and Cabela's for throwing some money yeah, of into, course. into conservation efforts. Isn't Kansas have like over-the-counter tags and stuff? Or how does that Ooh. work? For residents, just for residents. Non-residents is all draw. Gotcha. And now it's like a two-year or three-year wait, huh, to get the preference points. Or I think if your dad bought you a lifetime hunting license when you were 16. People, and a lot of people holy cow, look at your state's lifetime hunting licenses because it may not make, especially for your children, because the, the big benefit of lifetime hunting licenses, unless you buy them when you're like 12, they probably don't financially, they're probably not financially wiser, but they give you in most states, they give you resident hunting privileges no matter where you live for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. So... I moved to Colorado, but I can still hunt big game with resident privileges in Kansas. And it's massive. It's a great big thing that I can always count on an archery deer hunt in Kansas because it's an over-the-counter tag for me. Um, so anyway, look at your state's lifetime hunting licenses, especially for your kids, because it's a great deal. If they move away, they'll come back and hunt with you. Exactly. Exactly. Well, talking about you, you're just very good at segueing today, Cody. That's what I'm here for. Talking about throwing money at conservation. There was an article uh, in the Seattle Times this week that says Bezos, the Amazon Bezos, 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 Bay, Jeff Bezos, 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 long A, long O, uh, Bezos, long A, long O. It's an E, Bezos. I know, but that's the sound of how he pronounces oh, it. Oh, sorry. Bezos. Okay. American Bezos pledges to spend $1 billion on conservation efforts in the Congo, the Andes, and the tropical Pacific Ocean. And the article goes on to say that he is in for conservation. He is in to be putting some big, big money into some environmental phil uh, philanthropy. Yeah, 
Well, if you got all that money really? and nothing to spend it on, might as well do that, right? Hell yeah. Yeah, that and fly to space. I think it's great. I think it's great. I saw some, uh, you know, my social media feeds are so inundated with fly fishing and hunters that I, I saw some folks making comments about what he's doing, right? Right. I don't see, as long as he doesn't think that conservation is creating legislation that restricts things, um, mm -hmm. I don't see how this is in any way a bad deal. The, the, the Andes, the Congo, and the Pacific Ocean need some help. Um, and I think, it's, I think it's a great deal. You know, he's got a lot more than $1 billion. Let's double that up, Jeff. Hell yeah. And anything tied to cons and, and sort of conserving land, conserving habitat. Habitat loss is the number one priority threat against most species on this planet. So anything that's going to protect habitat, keep it intact, restore it back to its natural functions, it's all good stuff. Absolutely. You see, he seems to like he would be a very science-based guy, right? Like that, that uh, his stuff would be based on science and not emotion. So that's what we like to see with conservation dollars. Well, Bezos wasn't the only one to drop some money into conservation this week. Uh, in an AFRIC 21 article, Rob and Melanie Walton in the Walton Foundation commits $100 million to wildlife conservation. Dang. Again, they, they have it as well. They've got the money. They certainly have the money. And they're doing it. Um, they're, they're actually putting their money where their mouth is, and they've actually done a lot of thinking, and a lot of that money is going to uh, Africa Parks. Africa Parks is doing some great work all across Africa. It's essentially, it got born out of South Africa. They are the organization that runs the national parks in South Africa and have expanded across Africa now. And they take over these almost defunct national parks, game reserves, and brings it back to life. So, for instance, Angola, they just signed this huge transfrontier game reserve in Angola and uh, should be magnificent wildlife conservation happening there. They even talk about it. I, I own a national park in, in Angola. They talk about the Odzalakawa National Park in, Cong in, in the Congo. Um, just some great stuff, man. Some really good. And these are the kinds of money. That's the kind of money that you need, man. You need big, big money to conserve these huge, huge landscapes and manage them. It's not just conserving it, it's managing it. Yeah, it's good stuff. I like, to see, I like to see people putting that kind of money behind good projects. And the 75 million, so 25 million is going to support the national parks through the Africa Parks Foundation. 75 million, this is smart of them, 75 million is going to an endowment. And the endowment will generate interest on an annual basis that will help with management and operations. Right. It's good stuff. Absolutely. Good, good stuff. Uh, let's do one more. Pick one, Cody. You haven't picked one yet. Oh, the last one that I put on late. 100%. All right. All right. Oh, let's do that one. Exactly. Field and stream. A very different article for right. this week. Thank you, Cody. A little bit of a, a sort of curiosity, FYI, blow your mind kind of information. And the article's title is the 10 wildest hunting and fishing techniques from around the world. And the first one that came into my mind as I learned about this and obviously seeing the picture of the individual in the front is obviously the Chinese, right? The guy who has his train cormorants that goes and fishes for him using birds. Yep. Todd, you, have you seen any of this kind of stuff? No, I've they like uh like falconry for fishing that's about right kind of it's yeah. about right it's kind of falconry for fishing <laughs> that's a good way to put it here here let me just oh go ahead todd sorry uh, i was gonna say i pulled up the article and i didn't have time to read it but i seen that that picture that you were talking about yeah but he uses he uses uh cormorants to go out and fish for him. The next one is spider web fishing. Yep, I Use, like that. That's just a general web. spider. Yep. 
Number two is my favorite, the uh, Dorobo tribesmen of Kenya. Um, wait for a lion to get a fresh kill and then just rush in and attack and the lion. And take the kill from the lion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's uh, And they have a video of it. I actually watched a video the other day, a black and white video of some Maasai um, lion hunting. And that's uh, that's a kind of brave that's hard to find anymore. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah. What I liked about number three and number four is that we've actually had people on Blood Origins that have done both. Number three, Gunnar from Iceland has netted puffins on the walls of Iceland. Uh, you know, it's one of the delicacies. Um, and then number four was ferreting rabbits, using ferrets to chase down rabbit warrens and push the rabbits out. Who, and that's who, how you hunt rabbits. Who do we know that's done that? Because that's the craziest one on here to me. I didn't know that people used ferrets to hunt. Um, gosh, I'd have to remember. Um, I can see his face, Thomas or Chris out of the UK. If they're listening to this, they're going to be, geez, Robbie, how did you forget us? Uh, but he's a ferreter. He takes his ferrets to the game fairs in England and Scotland, and he shows what they do. And Oh, it's amazing. I've seen, and there's also some people in uh, Australia that also do ferret work for, for, for rabbits. I said that was the craziest one, and then I scrolled to the next one, which is chasing down cheetahs. And, and this, what are they doing with that one? Dude, they just literally run them down on foot. In 2000, this, this happened in 2013. Kenyan villagers. It says that blatantly a cheetah can, animals can outrun people in short distances. But there are people who just get a steady pace and just keep chasing them. They chased cheetahs four miles, ran them down, caught them alive, and turned them in because they were eating their goats. Oh, my gosh. They ran them That's down. That's determination. Yeah. No wonder they just kick everyone's ass in the marathon, right? Like, that's some training that's right terrible. there. Four, four mile Crazy. cheetah chase. They also run Crazy. down kudu, elon, gimsbuck, and other antelope. Chase them till they're exhausted. Chemsbok, not Gemsbok. Chemsbok. Right, right. Next. He's American. Now, we're moving. Now, on. listen. Number six is what we're doing on our first Blood Origins field trip. Yeah, I've seen the whole Asian carp thing. I've seen people get knocked out of their boats. Yeah, but I haven't seen a guy uh, water skiing with a net in his hand yeah. trying to catch. They call it scarping. Listen, I think I think nine of these ten were like traditional, old school, very unique hunting methods, and then one is just a drunken <laughs> college boat trip thing. I think I don't I don't think that sober people get up and go, let's go, let's get on water skis and catch Asian carp in a net. The, the dude has a helmet on in the a, a football <laughs> helmet on in the video. It's so good. The best part about rednecks, man. Yeah, exactly. I'll always think of something. Right. It's too funny. Um, Yeah, fishing cormorants, tramping flounder, blow gunning small game. Um, But I think scarping takes it, man. Absolutely. Jumping bison, scarping carp. That's it. I'll say that's number one out of the ten. The uh, the article is worth going and checking out, folks, because Field and Stream managed to find a video, I believe, for eight of the ten. Yeah. Um, they found a video that you can actually watch people scaring lions off of their fresh kill, people ferreting rabbits. There's no video on the chasing cheetahs. That would have been a lot of – that would have been a or lot of – Or jumping bison. Right. Yeah. There would have been a lot of YouTube views on either one of those two things, but – the uh, creativity of folks to get food is impressive. That's right. That's right. And obviously, jumping bison was something that was done way back in the day, 18th century. You know, jump over the bison, let them sort of jump to their death. Don't you think that even the people that did that were like, "Man, am I glad we got guns now?" Don't you think that it was like the evolution? It was like the evolution of. The guy who brought the the kill back to the fire and all the other hunters were sort of jealous of him and he won the the 
the looks of all the women right. around the fire. The guy who could jump the highest over the bison. Yeah, but I think there was a lot of people, like a lot of traditional things went away and people were sad about it. I think that the first day that that group of Native Americans got firearms and didn't have to go jump the bison anymore, they were like, this is better. This is a, this is a better this is a better plan. I know a whole lot of other, I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about this one thing that they didn't have to jump the bison anymore. They were like, give me another shell and let's load this gun. I think that was a good thing. Didn't true, they just true. chase them off as well? Or did they yeah, that's what they did. Have somebody as a distraction. All kinds of crazy techniques. All kinds hey, of. Hey, whatever gets the job done, I guess. That's it, man. That's it. Well, I think we've uh, we've exhausted all the articles that we've been looking at. Uh, Todd, any final words, my friend, on your first podcast? Um, follow my Instagram at nubs dot or. Instagram is nubs, K-N-U-B-B-S underscore woodshop. There we go. And you make some phenomenal pieces of wood, some beautiful pencils and pens. Don't we have, aren't you going to give us a pen for our supporters program? That's what I'm wanting to do. I'm wanting to do something. I'm trying to figure out what to do. I got to see if I can give some, get one of my buddies to get me one of their scrap pieces of horn and turn that into a pen. Oh, man, that'll be amazing. Whatever you want to do. We're or if in. you know anybody or if anybody knows, wants to donate some exotic antler or bone or something, hit me up. We'll hit you up. We'll do it. Well, Todd, it's been amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you for reaching out. Um, really, really humbled and, and honored to have you. Um, you did fantastic as a first-time podcaster. and. Um, yeah, thank you for thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of the Blood Origins family. Absolutely. Cool. Thanks, Todd. Appreciate it. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.